Well, if you like uh, following on, following along with an outline, um, the news sheet that you could have grabbed on the way in has an outline uh, on the back. But otherwise, uh, keep your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to consider these words this morning. Uh, But a few years back, there was a farmer living in Vietnam. uh, And on his property, he discovered a a small hole in the ground. There was a bit of a rocky outcrop. He noticed a bit of a gap in some of the rocks. And from in that hole, he could hear the sound of rushing water. Now, he assumed there must be a small cave down there, uh, but he didn't really pay any attention to it because it didn't pose any danger to his animals. He just left it there. But while the farmer had no interest in this small cave, some caving experts from the UK, well, they were very interested in it. And so in 2009, they entered this hole in the ground. And this on the screen is what they found. As they lowered themselves down into what they thought was possibly just a small cave, what they discovered was actually the biggest cave on the planet that we know of. It's five kilometres long. It's hundreds of metres wide. It's got stalagmites that are over 70 metres tall. And it's got a river running from end to end. So this farmer had thought this, this cave to be small, insignificant. Well, it turned out to be bigger than he could ever imagine. And what this story teaches us is that it's entirely possible to know something without really knowing it. It's entirely possible for us to see something and yet not really see it. See, just like the Vietnamese farmer who knew he had a cave on his property, but who didn't know how vast and incredible it was, it's entirely possible for us to know the gospel without actually comprehending its magnificence. We can know the gospel. We can even believe the gospel. We can trust that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins and that he rose again to offer us new life. We can know that, we can believe it, we can trust it, while all the while failing to see how breathtakingly beautiful that is. Churches all over the world are filled with people like that. People who have all the information. They know what the Bible says about Jesus. They say they believe it, but it just doesn't seem to have an impact. Life goes on just as it did before. Now, maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you know someone who knows the gospel but doesn't really seem to know it. It's like the penny hasn't really dropped. Maybe it's actually you. Maybe you feel like you've lost your enthusiasm for the gospel. Have you grown cold? A good litmus test here is, can you tell someone the gospel without it bringing a smile to your face? Can you talk about what Jesus Christ has done for sinners without that bringing you feelings of joy? Because if that's you this morning, if you know someone who's gone cold or if you yourself feel like your faith has gone cold, you need to hear God's word for you in Ephesians 1. You need to hear what this passage has to say to us. Because if the gospel has become anything less 
than the earth-shattering, life-changing, joy-producing, idol-destroying power of God in your life, then you don't know the gospel like you could. So let's pray what Paul prays in verse 17 that Rob just read for us. Let's pray that God would give us his spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. Let's pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that God may turn on the lights in our hearts so that we may see his grace for what it truly is. Let's do that now. Let's pray, and then we'll consider these verses. Our Lord God, as we read your word now, please open our eyes. Help us to see things that we may have grown blind to. Help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to see the gospel of your son for what it really is. May we not treat it as something small, something insignificant, something ordinary. May you open our eyes by your spirit. Give us wisdom and revelation to see your gospel as life-changing. May you change us through your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Well, if you were here with us last week in Ephesians chapter 1, we saw Paul praising God for all the ways that he has blessed his people in Christ. He began by praising God for choosing us to be his people, for choosing us to be his children, for sending Christ to die for us so that we could be forgiven and redeemed from slavery to sin, for giving us his Holy Spirit so that we might continue to live in Christ and for revealing to us his great plan the end goal of his plan, which we're still waiting to see, where everything in heaven and on earth will come under the authority of King Jesus. Paul praises God for all of those things. God has been outrageously generous. And so God blesses him as he tells of this great rescue plan. But as we get to verse 15, which Rob read for us, Paul now shifts his focus from what God has done for all of his people in all of eternity to thanking God for saving these specific people that he's writing to. Verse 15, have a look in your Bibles. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, the Ephesians' faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So notice that Paul is thankful to God not just because God saved him. He's thankful that God saved the Ephesians too. He's thankful that God saved other people. Because the gospel kills self-interest. And so Paul is filled with joy when he sees God plucking another helpless sinner into the rescue boat. Now, it's natural for us to celebrate life, isn't it? Uh, We do it when a baby is born. We get excited, we smile, we celebrate. Uh, We do it every year when someone turns another year older. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate life. So how much more should we be celebrating when someone is born again into eternal life? Jesus tells us that the angels in heaven are rejoicing when one sinner repents. Well, we should too. And not just once, 
We should be constantly thankful to God for what he has done for the people around us. Paul thanks God constantly. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. He thanks God that the Ephesians have put their trust in Jesus. But notice there also in verse 15, he thanks God for their love for God's people. Because love is the evidence of their faith. Jesus says in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love is like the proof of faith. It's the evidence of It's the fruit. If you love Jesus, you will love his children. And so Paul thanks God that the Ephesians are showing this love. Notice that he thanks God for the Ephesians' love for all of God's people. You see, they're not just showing love to members of the Ephesian church. They're not just loving members of their own denomination or Denominations probably weren't such a thing back then, but they were loving all of God's people. Now this week I'm going to meet with the ministers of all the churches here in Noosa. I'm sure almost all of them will have something with which we disagree. And some of them will be small things, some of them will be fairly significant disagreements. But if I can see faith in them, if I can see that they have trusted in the Lord Jesus and I can see the fruit of that faith in their lives, that they are loving God's people, I am going to thank God for them. I may still disagree with them, but I can thank God for them because of the work that he has done in their lives. You see, it's easy for us to be like Jonah in the Old Testament who didn't want God to be kind to certain people. It's easy for us to be like the older brother in Jesus' parable who got angry that his father would show mercy to the wayward younger brother. But if we remember that we are sinners saved by grace, that we don't deserve special treatment from God, when we remember that we have been deeply loved by Jesus, even though we don't deserve it, well, then we will love the people that God loves. If there are people that are good enough for God to love, then we can love them too. And so I want to ask you right now, is your faith evident in your love for all of God's people? To put it another way, do people look at you and know that you follow Jesus because you have the same sort of sacrificial love for others that he has? Is your love on display for all to see? It's a challenging question, isn't it? Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. Well, do people know that you are a disciple of Jesus by your love? Well, there's hundreds of ways that we could show love for God's people this week. But one of the best things that we can all do is exactly what Paul does here. Thank God for other Christians. Thank God for other churches. Thank God for Christians you disagree with. Thank God for Christians who annoy you. Thank God that he has lavished his blessings on others. 
Thank God that he has spared sinners from the wrath that they deserve. Thank God for his patience with hard-hearted people. Who are you going to thank God for this week? One of the greatest ways that we can express our love is by thanking God for other Christians. Another way that we can show love for God's people is to do what Paul does in verses 17 to 23. We can pray that God would open their eyes to marvel at the riches of God's grace. Verses 17 to 23, Paul continues to pray for the Ephesians. He said, I constantly thank God for you, and now I pray for you in verse 17. He prays that God would open their eyes to see the gospel for what it really is. He says, I keep asking, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who know the gospel. He's writing to people who know God, and yet he wants them to know God better. The Ephesians believe the gospel, but now Paul prays that they might know it more, that they might come to appreciate its worth. He prays, that they might step down into the small hole in the ground and see the awesome wonder of the massive cave below that is the riches of God's grace. He says, if you think you've comprehended the gospel, you need to know it's even bigger than what you can imagine. It's incredible. And so he prays that God would give them just a little bit more of the picture. Because it's, people, uh, because it's possible to know the gospel and yet not really know it. It's possible to see the gospel and yet not really see it for what it is. And what happens when you don't see the gospel for what it is? Well, you don't value it for what it's worth. If you don't value the gospel, you're going to be far more likely to leave it behind, to throw it away. We might become like Nigel Reynolds, This is Nigel. He was the first journalist to review J.K. Rowling's first Harry Potter book. So she wrote that first book. She was grateful that Nigel accepted it and read it to write a review on it. But he was convinced that the book would be a flop. No one was going to buy this book. And so immediately after his interview with Rowling, he threw it in the bin. Today, a first edition of a Harry Potter book sells for about £50,000. Nigel didn't see the value in the book, and so he threw it away. He didn't realise what it was worth. Well, so that the Ephesians don't do the same thing with the gospel, so that they don't leave the gospel behind thinking that it's a small thing, Paul earnestly prays that God would help them see the treasure that they have in their hands. And so in verse 18, he prays specifically that God would show them the value of what they have. There's three things that he wants the Ephesians to know in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, one, the hope to which he has called you. 
to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Three things, hope, riches, power. Three things Paul wants the Ephesians to know that they have. God has given them these things, and they're pretty attractive things, aren't they? These are things that everyone in our world wants. Hope, riches, power. These are the things our world craves. Our world desperately longs for something to hope in. The people that you do life without during the week, they want hope. They're all hoping that the future will be, be, be better than today. That's why there's so much longing for a COVID vaccine. They want something to hope in. It's why people put money in superannuation. They want the future to be better. It's why we have health insurance. We all desperately hope for a future that is better than today. Our world craves riches. It's why some people work their butts off in three jobs to save some cash. It's why other people steal from their employers. Everyone wants more. They want riches. Our world also craves power. We long to be influential. We long to have people listen to us. We all just want the freedom to do what we want to do when we want to do it. See, everyone on this planet craves hope and riches and power. And Paul's prayer for Christians is that God would open their eyes to say, see that we have those things in ways that go beyond our wildest imaginations. See, our world is on a desperate search for hope, and some people think they'll find it in money, and other people think they'll find it in health and fitness. Some people think that humanity is the hope of the world. Paul prays that we would know the hope of God's calling. Because that is real hope. Believe in Jesus, trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be guaranteed eternity of joy and peace and satisfaction. That's hope. It is an absolute certainty what we have in Jesus. Nothing can take it away. That's the kind of hope that our world can only dream of. And it's yours already. Our world craves riches. But Paul prays that God would open our eyes to see that we are already richer than we could ever be. Gold, silver, cash, Bitcoin, doesn't matter what it is. It's rubbish compared to the eternal inheritance awaiting those who put their trust in Jesus. We have treasure in heaven that makes earthly treasure look like dirt. We get to enjoy personal relationship with the God who created all things. We are insanely rich. And lastly, our world craves power. Our world wants power for themselves. They want other people to recognize their power. But Paul prays, that God would open our eyes to see that we have power like no other. 
We have the most powerful being on the universe on our side. Verse 19, Paul says God's power is incomparable. Nothing can compare to his power. It's the power that brought the whole universe into existence. It's the power, in verse 20, that brought Jesus back from the dead. It's the power, in verse 21, that put Jesus on the throne of heaven, far above every other rule and authority and power and dominion that ever has been and ever will be. And that power, the power that was big enough to raise Jesus from death, says Paul, God uses that power for us who believe. God uses his power for you. A few years back, uh, my brother-in-law bought a car and he sent me the money to actually exchange cash for the car because the owner lived close by. But for whatever reason, the owner of this car decided that he would only receive payment in cash. No check, no bank deposit, no cash. $10,000 in cash. And he arranged to come meet me at night in a dark, dingy car park outside an apartment block. So here I am, fresh from the ATM, with $10,000 in cash, just sweating, to meet this man that I've never met to buy a car in a dark car park. I was not too thrilled about this transaction, but thankfully I had a friend named Johnny. And Johnny was taller than me, twice as wide as me, with a bald head and a big beard, and he just looked scary. And so I got my friend Johnny to come with me. Now I wasn't scared. I had the fearsome power of Johnny acting on my behalf. Now, Johnny was really just a big teddy bear. I don't think he could ever hurt anyone. He was the loveliest guy you'd ever meet. But the God who uses his power on our behalf is no teddy bear. He is almighty. No one can challenge him. And God uses his power to save you, to welcome you into his arms. And he promises you that that he will never let you go. When you know God's power, you have nothing to fear. Your health could fail you and you can rest confidently in his mighty care. Persecution could break out against Christians in this country and you have nothing to fear because you know with confidence that God will protect you for eternity. Friends, all these things that other people can only dream of, you have in spadefuls. You have the hope of heaven. You have the riches of God's glorious inheritance. You have his power at work in you, on your behalf, both now and forever. And so the question is, do you see it? Have you managed to get your head around the immense treasure that is yours simply because the God of creation chose to bless you?
Do you see the gospel for what it really is? You know it, you believe it, but have you comprehended how good it is? Does your jaw still hit the floor every time you consider what Jesus Christ did for you? Now, I don't think we'll ever be able to comprehend it fully. Well, not this side of heaven. The gospel is so beyond our comprehension. It's too much for us to handle. The love of God for people like us blows my mind. But what we can keep doing is asking God to give us his spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. And so I'm going to finish now by praying that again. Let's pray that God would show us his gospel so that we may treasure his gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so uh, quick to diminish you and to diminish your work in our lives. So easy for us to be distracted, to lose focus, to forget what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would renew our amazement and our awe. We pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may see just a bit more of who you are, see a bit more of this gospel of grace. We pray that the the spiritual blessings that you have chosen to bless us with, we pray that they wouldn't just be words on a page, but that we would, we would know and experience those blessings, that we would see just how amazingly gracious and generous they are. Lord, open our eyes. And help use us as instruments to open the eyes of others. We pray that you would grow our love for each other, our love for other Christians, so that people may see us and see just a glimpse of your love for us. Lord, we pray that you would do this work in us because, Lord, we can't do it ourselves. We're blind to your grace. But, Lord, we pray that you might open our eyes and that you may do that again and again and again. Hear our prayer, Lord. We pray it in the name of our Lord and Saviour, the one who sits on the throne, the one whose power is used for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray to you. Amen.